Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. So everyone would advise to have a low-salt diet. I think in our diet sheet at Guy's, we say six grams a day. I think some say less than three grams a day. But the principle is salt is bad for, for the body, bad for blood pressure, bad, as you say, for other cardiovascular risk factors. So, you know, I think everybody should be trying to follow a low-salt diet. And there can be a lot of sneaky salt in diets, can't there? Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best Today, I have not one, but two urology consultants on the podcast, Dr. Nish Bedi, who some of you may remember from the podcast we recorded a couple of years ago now, titled Eat for Your Bladder, and Dr. Matthew Boltitude, a surgeon at Guy's in St. Thomas's Hospital in London. Today, we are talking all things kidney stones, a topic requested by a number of followers and colleagues who asked for advice on this via social media and my newsletter feedback form. Yes, I read all the feedback on the doctorskitchen.com newsletter that you can sign up to, thedoctorskitchen.com. Today, we're going to talk about what types of stones there are and the impact of hydration, sugar, animal protein, salt, and fiber on the propensity toward stones how we prevent them, what things one should include or exclude depending on their condition, supplements for stones, as well as acidification and alkalinization of the urine and what that means clinically. This is a fascinating discussion and one that you can also watch on YouTube. You can watch it on the Doctor's Kitchen channel. I sat down with both Matthew and Nish on a sofa, in front of cameras, it was a it was a right laugh. Please do share this information widely, as I'm sure it will be absolutely helpful and game-changing for many people out there, especially considering that 10% of the population will suffer with a kidney stone over their lifetime. 
As an introduction, Dr. Matthew Bultitude is a consultant urological surgeon at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital in London. He is a general urologist and has a special interest in kidney stone disease. He has an interest in metabolic stones, in particular the rare condition called cystinuria, cystinuria, I should say that properly, which predisposes to lifelong kidney stones. He runs a rare disease website for patients with this condition. It's called cystinureauk.co.uk, the link to which is in the show notes. And at Guy's, he's been the clinical lead for his department and is currently the clinical director for transplantation, nephrology, and urology. Dr. Nish Bedi is a consultant urologist at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. We're keeping it London today and is passionate about bringing more specific dietary and lifestyle advice for certain neurological conditions. This podcast is in a large part going to be because of him. He uh, he definitely was um, keen for this uh, pod to happen um, and uh, he, he put everything together today. So really, really grateful for, for Nish. He's extensively published and regularly speaks at international conferences. There is also the Stone Away recipe book. Uh, this is a recipe book that is the brainchild of Matthew Bultitude and his colleagues at, uh, at Guys and St. Tommy's. You can find the uh, link to download that uh, on the show notes at thedoctorskitchen.com and in your the copy uh, of whatever podcast player you're listening to this to. I do highly recommend you check that out. It's a very good practical uh, recipe book. And uh, if you're looking for recipes, don't look no further than the Doctor's Kitchen app. You can download that for free as well and get access to all of our recipes that are specifically tailored for health needs with new recipes added every single month. We have about 400 now. Do check out the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter. You can subscribe to that on the drugsofkitchen.com website where I give you a recipe, some mindfully curated content, whether it be something to listen to, something to watch, something to read every single week. On to my chat with Matthew and Nish. Thanks so much for coming in today. Uh, really excited to have you both here. Nish, we've known each other for a few years uh, and you were telling me about this amazing uh, conference that you went to or the, a presentation that you heard. Uh, so how do you know each other professionally? Uh, well, yeah, so on that um, conference, the presentation that was uh, Matt Bultitude uh, was doing, uh, your, that was your presentation that you did at the RSM when you were asked to um, debunk, I think, stone supplements. Oh yeah, which maybe we come on to before, but that's <laughs> where I kind of first thought of this, and when I was, um, we met for a coffee, and yeah. then discussed it from there, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just because I thought that was interesting, and it was it was not like the typical kind of um, stone talk, I guess. It was yeah, more on supplements and diet and things. Um, yeah, so that was it. But uh, I was just saying earlier that we met um, some some ten years ago now because. Uh, I was um, running uh, some conferences. It was called the Digital Doctor at that time. It's mm. like health IT. It was something slightly different. And then you were doing your editor of the website for BJUI. And so they suggested uh, when we approached them, they suggested you could come and talk to us because it was at that point you'd just gone digital from a paper journal. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We've done. A, I think we've done a few blogs together, haven't we? And done for, some blogs for different conferences. That, yeah. And then we obviously went to that conference and wrote that up for the BJUI. Mm. And yeah. then, then, yeah, as you say, we. Um, 
recently I was invited to to do this talk in America about mm. supplements yeah. and kidney stones and that's yeah. the talk I then gave at the, the Royal Society. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's all pretty uh, serendipitous because one of my best friends has got a stone or yeah. a current stone. And so he was asking me about diet and then we just went for coffee and we just started talking talking about stones. So I thought, well, let's just do a podcast about it because I'm sure there are a lot of people who've uh, who have got issues with kidney stones uh, who would love to know a bit about diets and whether supplements are actually worth it. Because there's a lot of supplements on, on the market, aren't there? Uh, there are uh, increasingly so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. and I, I suspect it's very, very confusing for patients to know uh, what is what is good and bad because everything is marketed totally. as, as you know being good in some way for kidney stones with very little evidence to back them up. Yeah, yeah. And Matt, uh, so you have a particular interest in this, and you run one of the largest uh, clinics in the world looking at a specific type of of kidney stone. Is that? Yeah, that's right. So I, I'm specialist interested in kidney stones as a surgeon, um, but also in, in, in terms of prevention. Mm. And so uh, where I work at Guys, we run a, a metabolic stone clinic specifically for this condition called cystinuria, mm -hmm. which is a very rare condition. So most people listening to this podcast will not have, if anyone yeah. will have cystinuria, um, it's less than one in 2000. Oh, okay, yeah. It. So, uh, but uh, we have yeah, the largest clinic in the world, I believe, mm. um, looking at that condition, which is uh, genetic. So people are... Um, uh, predisposed to stone formation throughout their lives and often present in childhood with quite big stones. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's even rare for urologists. Like it's one of the things that we learn for the exam, but you know, I've, I've not actually seen a patient with cysteine. So it's interesting that you have that clinic and, and it's kind of famous really for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've got a general sort of overview of how I think this conversation should go, mm. but I'm sure we're going to meander and go, of course, so feel free to. But uh, let's talk a bit about kidney stones, what they are. Actually, no, let's go back a little bit further. Let's talk about kidneys. Like, wh why do we have kidneys? What's their, what's their function? And uh, a little bit about the anatomy. Um, so, I mean, in simple terms, I guess the kidneys filter your blood as the main things. They're also involved in um, a few hormone pathways in terms of um, maintaining regulation of um, different chemicals in your blood. Uh, Anatomy-wise, they're kind of under your ribs, but quite mm -hmm. deep structures um, as well. Um, they're connected to your bladder by your ureters, which are sort of thin tubes going down to your bladder, which is where urine collects, and then you, you pee it out from there. And so very basic overview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they filter the, yeah. filter the blood, don't yeah. they? Get rid yeah. of all the waste, yeah. uh, which comes out um, in the urine. But they also regulate, as you say, different hormones and regulate blood pressure as well. So they're, yeah. they're vital for blood pressure regulation. Absolutely, yeah. And so w when, we, when we're talking about kidney stones, what do we mean by kidney stones? Um, so I suppose well, a stone is a, um, a, I suppose a clump of crystals mm -hmm. that form um, in the urine, so with it almost within the center of the kidney, so mm. in, in the free part, um, which can often just sit up in the kidney um, for weeks, months, years, mm. um, until at some point it decides to move and then drops down, blocks the, the ureter, the pipe, yeah. running down towards the bladder, yeah. which then causes what the pain that everyone associates with kidney mm. stones, which is supposedly the worst pain imaginable yeah. um, <laughs> when you have a blocked kidney. Yeah. yeah. And I guess because urine looks colorless, you forget that it basically contains lots of these salts normally, like for most people, but it also contains things that sort of buffer uh, stone formation as yeah. well. So there's a kind of balance between the two. And most people, that means that you don't then form stones. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously for people who do, there's an imbalance there, um, mm -hmm. which you know could be for lots of reasons, including like genetic, which uh, like the cysteine stones that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into um, some of the reasons as to why someone yeah. one is predisposed to having stones. But let's give a sort of um, an overview of like how prevalent kidney stones are. I'm sure 
if it's around one in 10 people in the UK, a lot of people listening to this are going to have experienced mm. the stone or know someone who's experienced the stone. What, what are the general sort of overview in terms of how prevalent this condition is? Yeah, so increasingly pre uh, prevalent over the last few decades, mm. uh, probably linked with in, uh, increasing obesity and Western diets. Yeah. Um, I often quote that figure of about lifetime risk, about one in 10. Mm -hmm. That's actually a figure for men. Um, women, it, it traditionally has been rarer, okay. but that gap is actually narrowing and that's that's sort of fast approaching, probably one in eight or something like that yeah, now. Yeah. Um, because, um, uh, yeah, I think because of the same sort of Western diets and, and obesity. Mm, yeah, it's interesting that because I, I remember going to medical school. I wasn't really uh, privy to it being a diet-related issue or an obesity-related mm. issue. I think it was more the genetic components. I think in a similar vein to you learning about mm. the specific rare crystals for the exams, that's sort of what I was thinking about when it comes to stones, but I've, I don't think I, I, I remember being taught about diet. Mm. Uh, I, d I don't think we particularly cover diet either at medical school uh, for stones or particularly for much yeah, I, I guess other disease as well. I mean, there's so much you've got to learn at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I suppose that's why we're talking about it a bit today, because the more you go into it, the more you, you, you know, focus on that one area, then you learn about all of the surrounding things that impact it. Yeah. And diet is one of those things that we do know a bit about for kidney stones. Um, yeah. And we're probably showing our age a bit now, aren't we? I mean, we yeah. It's been a while <laughs> since we were at medical school. Yeah, and, no, no. and also the textbooks we use were older and they tend to focus on the pathological conditions yes. um, that yeah. cause kidney stones and anatomical yeah. conditions that might yeah. cause kidney stones and yeah. won't focus on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a bit about stones themselves. So you, you, you describe them as a clump of crystals. How do we differentiate stones from, from each other? What are the commonest types? So by far and away, the most common type is something called calcium oxalate. Mm -hmm. That makes up about 80% of, of all stone uh, types. So I think most people who've had one or two stones in their lifetime, it's a good guess that they will have had a calcium oxalate stone or predominantly mm -hmm. calcium oxalate stone. Mm -hmm. uh, there are then rarer types, so calcium phosphate is a distinct type. But often you get a mixture of stones. So quite a common thing we would see was that a stone is 80% made, made of calcium oxalate, 20% mm -hmm. made of calcium phosphate. Okay. And that may be the way that it's formed in the kidney, that actually you get a bit of calcium phosphate and then you get the oxalate layering on top of that uh, okay. uh, to form, to form mm -hmm. the stone. So those are the two most common. Um, and then there's uric acid stones, which... Uh, are very different uh, because they're radiolucent, which means they don't show up on X-ray. Right. So you can't. So you can do an X-ray and they won't. Well, you won't see no. them. So that's not a good way of, of checking for those. Yeah. And they can also be dissolved, and we'll obviously, I think, come on to that later. Mm -hmm. um, so important to differentiate between those. Um, and I think traditionally, down the list. a number of <laughs> percentage-wise is probably five to ten percent. Okay. Um, of kidney stones and metaluric acid. Okay. But then when you consider obese and diabetic populations, it can be as high as twenty to thirty percent. Ah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So one in three, if you're obese or you have diabetes, will actually have uric acid stones. Potentially. Yeah. Ah. Mm. Interesting. Okay. And what are the other types of stones that we're getting to the more rarer sort of? Mm. Yeah. We're now getting down the list, aren't we? So yeah. Yeah. I mean, cysteine, which is the thing we mentioned earlier, is quoted in textbooks as being one percent i don't think that's true in terms of what we actually see one percent yeah. of people coming in with cysteine stones but that's what textbooks say yeah so that's rarer and then you, there's a, a range of other rare types of stones and you can get drug stones as well and they are very very mm. different but probably just worth a mention to say that yeah. certain drugs and certain hiv drugs in particular which have been notorious mm. for it because mm. because drugs are often ex are usually excreted in the kidney so there's yeah. high levels of, of of that drug in the urine and if certain for whatever reasons that crystallizes out as well then that can form a drug stone of whatever that that drug type was mm -hmm. those are pretty rare but also can be quite hard to find because again they, they don't often don't show up on 
they don't show up on x-ray or ct scan mm. which is the thing that most people will get if they walk into the emergency department you get yeah. a ct scan yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's not actually made of anything crystalline yes. that, that shows up yeah. Yeah, so they yeah. can be diff more difficult to diagnose that that's really mm. interesting from an a &E perspective actually because if you're doing a ct scan ctkub it's not going to come up on the seat but you've still mm. got a high degree of suspicion and you, you've ruled out other things. Then, then what? Well, like on the uric acid stones, you were saying that they're not. You, you would usually see them on CT, but not X-ray. When yeah. that, so now with CT, we tend to be able to see okay. uh, uric acid stones, which is. But the drug stones that you mentioned yeah. sometimes just can't even see those on CT. So, okay, uh, that is difficult. And then, I guess it depends on exactly how the patient is, if they still got pain or mm -hmm. anything else with the other other symptoms with that. But I'm. Um, you may end up still going up inside and, and doing a ureteroscopy, yeah. which is where you're basically putting a telescope up towards the kidney to yeah. see what the cause of that problem is. And actually, it's my, I recently had my, my first drug stone that I've seen recently. Oh, uh, really? Right, yeah, recently, oh, which was go. where we, we weren't expecting to find that, but there was a stone uh, that was causing an issue for that patient, basically. Um, and we, we weren't expecting to find that, but when we looked inside, there, there was a stone, we ended up lasering it. Yeah. yeah, and so I think it is about having an index of suspicion and mm. the doctors in the emergency department may not have that, mm. but you may see a secondary signs as well. So there's one thing on the CT scan of, of actually seeing the stone itself, but then because it causes blockage, you you may well then just see a blocked kidney. You won't know mm. why, but mm. there's a blocked kidney with yeah. maybe some fluid that's leaked around it. Yeah. So you'll see the secondary signs of that, yeah. which will then make you think, well, why has that happened? Yeah. And, if, and you can also give some an injection of dye with the CT scan in those situations, which we don't normally do, but in that mm. situation you might do. Right. And then you'd see that excreted through the kidney and you'd see a sort of missing bit where, the, where that drug stone is. So then, so that can help as well with diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. And, and moving down that list. We've got rarer stones yeah. here. Well, the, the, the stones associated with chronic infections, which is a, an increasing issue, I think, mm. as we're seeing more antimicrobial resistance. Do you mean like struvite stones? Struvite yeah. stones. Um, yeah. so that's, it's, we well, missed those out, didn't we, in that, mm. in that, in that yeah. percentage order yeah. coming yeah, yeah, down. Yeah. So we're going yeah, back yeah, up. So. Yeah, yeah. So they're like <laughs> magnesium ammonium phosphate stones related to sort of bacteria that's uh, basically, particularly protease bacteria, but mm -hmm. um, they kind of, essentially split uh, urea uh -huh. and as a result of that you end up getting urea which is in your urine normally mm -hmm. and uh, as a result of that you can end up getting stones essentially from ex excess crystals if you like okay um yeah yeah kind of simple terms. Uh, and again that's yeah. that's an interesting stone to treat because it's caused by the bacteria mm. so the bacteria live in the stone mm. and so people are often getting recurrent infections maybe seeing their GP, get given some antibiotics, get better, get infection again, get, get better. And that mm. cycle goes on until someone does some, some, a scan and usually finds they have this sort of very big classical stone called a staghorn stone when it fills yeah. all the calyces of the kidney. Um, and you really have to try and get rid of all bits of stone in that situation. Um, otherwise, because because the bugs are living there, you can re you remove 70% of it, mm. the 30% has still got bugs in it, mm. and it just it can grow very, very quickly again. Yeah. Um, so... So they can be challenging to treat as well. Yeah. Is this a particular mm. issue uh, in women uh, of menopausal age as well? Is that an association that you, you've seen? So, in, well, infections are more common in women, aren't yeah. they? So, yeah. So, so they may be getting recurrent infections, which then lead to uh, more alkaline urine, which leads mm. to precipitation of this stone. The bacteria is there. So, yes. Yes, that's true. Yeah, mm. yeah. We're going to talk about urine alkalinization and right, acidification yeah, yeah. in a bit because uh, it's definitely something that I think 
There's a lot of misinformation around, mm. uh, and uh, that there isn't too. Well, much. that doesn't necessarily work for the struvite stones. Actually, I'm, I'm, like you say, we may come onto that later. Yeah. But because the because of that mechanism to do with the bacteria. Instead, yeah. I think if I'm going to get it right or wrong, but it's essentially like urea is breaking down to ammonia. Yeah. And then you're getting a sort of a hydroxide, happening, which is kind of making it alkali. Mm. So alkalization doesn't help in that case. Exactly. But, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so that's one of the uh, unusual cases where you wouldn't want to mm. have alkaline urine. You'd want to acidify fight instead well, we'll talk about it in a second we'll talk about it in a second because i'm going to get myself confused all right so when we when we're talking about before we go into specific management mm -hmm. of those particular stones general advice that has been given by uh baus i think you guys said it was the mm -hmm. british association of urology there's all these acronyms yeah. i forgot to pick you up on another one what was the uh, the journal that you were mentioning earlier the british oh the british general urology international that was oh your, there you go okay BGR. yeah yeah that's the one rsm um, was royal society of medicine yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's on me i need to yeah. make sure that we're not using yeah. too much jargon because it's, it's a complicated subject so in terms of general advice what is one of the main things that you tell all patients when it comes to reducing the recurrence of stone and the risk of stone if there are a risk? I'm going to start with saying basically water. <laughs> I thought you were going to do it at the same time. Yeah, no, exactly. Water. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for like a perfectly harmonized yeah. water. Water, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the most common problem is people don't drink enough water. And mm -hmm. so de mm -hmm. dehydration is common. Yeah. So if you, I, I tend to say to patients, if you're going to change one thing, change the amount of fluid you drink. Mm -hmm. um, that is absolutely key to all stone types. There's no exceptions. Yeah. Fluid is key. Yeah. And for those who've got infections as well, it's good. It's, it's important for reducing infections as well. So you're gonna change one thing, change fluid. Yeah. And typically we sort of say you should be drinking two to three liters a day. Mm -hmm. But that is gonna be depend a lot on the individual um, and where they live, their lifestyle. If yeah. you go to the gym and you lose a liter in sweat, you've got to replace that on top of that. Mm. Yeah. So, and so really what the studies have shown is that you need to be producing about two liters of urine a day. So that's what comes out. Mm -hmm. And to do that, the typical person has to have about two and a half, three liters in to yeah. achieve that. But as I say, some people, if you run a marathon, you lose a lot more than that. You've got to replace loads more, haven't you? So, so quite a useful guide is actually to either measure your urinary volume, if you wanted to, in one, a given day, just to yeah. see what you're doing. But I also tell patients to just look at the color of the urine as well. Mm. You know, mm. If you've had a few drinks, if you like beer and have a few beers, you go to the toilet, your, your urine looks almost colorless, doesn't yeah. it? It does look completely clear. Now, that's going to be hard to do in day-to-day -day life during the day. But actually, the lighter it is, the more dilute it is. Mm. And that's because you're drinking lots mm. and got lots of... Uh, lots of fluid passing through and just flowing through the kidneys. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that's good. Conversely, if you go to the toilet and it looks like treacle, so it's you know really yellowy, then that's a sign of very concentrated urine, mm. and that's how stones form because they crystallize out in concentrated uh, solutions. So yeah. that's a sign you need to be drinking more. And you're allowed to look like that first thing in the morning. You haven't drunk overnight, so you get <laughs> yeah. up and you go, and it's quite concentrated. Yeah. But after that, throughout the day, you want to try and get your urine looking much more dilute. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because the, um, the 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 bowel leaflet we, we spoke about actually talks about tactics to try and drink that much water because it's not an, a normal thing that you would do. So I've actually tried and repeat that to patients and kind of in the the spiel of saying like actually what you might try and do is have, have a glass of water or a pint of water first thing in the morning. Mm. Then every time that you have some food, you have a glass of water before and afterwards. Every time you go and pee, you have a glass of water when you come back, um, and it kind of builds it into your day then that you're drinking throughout. Um, yeah. But then it's it, you're speaking to colleagues and like friends as well. Um, they they said people have said similar things like aim for colourless urine. Mm. But if that seems a bit vague to some people, and um, and then uh, one of my 
uh, colleagues at Amida Budi actually at Imperial said that um, he said he bases it on the sort of motivation of the patient a little bit where if they seem very motivated to really know exactly how much then he would give them a jug and say um, you can measure your output and you're aiming for that two to three liters that you said like you said measuring yeah yeah as well so then if they are motivated enough they can keep track of it themselves rather than looking at input of like drinking two yeah. to three liters yeah and you only need to do that once. You only need to know once roughly what your urine output is. You know, yeah. yeah. like every week you've got to test it because then you know roughly what, you know, if I go to the toilet six or seven times a day, everyone's got different bladders. So everyone's got a different bladder capacity. So yeah. some people have small bladders and need to go, go every, maybe store 200, maybe 250 mils. Yeah. Some people who maybe been rugby players can store 600, 700 mils. <laughs> yeah. so, and they only go four yeah. times a day, but they're probably making the same amount of urine. So actually the number of times you go during the day is not necessarily a reliable sign if you've got a small bladder capacity. Mm. I've got a dog uh, <laughs> and uh, we've trained her to sort of like hold her her urine. Is that something mm. that humans can do as well? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, because we, we have to keep on taking her out like out mm. of our flat. We don't we don't have a garden. So, you know, we've been basically training her to keep her urine in for a bit longer while still making sure that she's drinking enough water, particularly in the hot weather. Is that something that you, you can yeah, do? Yeah, definitely. Well? I mean, that we call the oddball that question there. Slightly, <laughs> you don't need to do it for stone patients. Yeah, for yeah. other patients, you do things like bladder training or bladder drills mm. um, for people with the, the small capacity yeah. bladders we spoke about. Yeah, so in that yeah. situation, yeah. that's correct. Because yeah. you want to try and train your, your brain yeah. that you don't need to go so often. So actually, you're going to let your bladder expand a bit more. Yeah. But mm. for other types, other groups of patients, that sort of doing that long term can be damaging to the bladder because mm. you're over expanding your bladder. And mm. so we see that sometimes in certain mm. professions, taxi drivers, bus drivers, yeah. people who can't go to the toilet regularly yeah. over years and years and years end up getting chronic retention where they get, you know, litre capacity bladders, yeah. which then slowly sort of stop, stop working properly. So, ah, um, I wonder if it's the same in medics as well. Cause I remember I got into uh, a habit of drinking like five to 600 mils of water at the start of the day mm. before the ward round, because I knew during the ward round, like three, four mm. hours or whatever, I wouldn't be able to drink any water, just running around and stuff. So I wonder if it's the yeah, same. Yeah, I think sometimes in the hospital environment, it's the combination of not drinking anything yeah. and not going to the toilet as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that does yeah. to you, whatever, but. I think surgeons who do long operations struggle with that as well. Mm. You know, imagine. you drink a bit and then yeah. you can do it. If you start a 10 hour operation, you don't drink anything at all. That's yeah. really bad for stones. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, I had another question there actually about, uh, oh yes, um, the timing of uh, when you drink as well. So mm. I, I, I was looking through a number of different uh, patient leaflets from different hospitals, different trusts. And some of them suggest that you should drink before going to bed as well to, to maintain mm. sort of hydration levels throughout the night uh, as well. And obviously, you know, that's going to mean that you're going to disrupt your sleep. You're going to have to get mm. up in the middle of the night. Is that something that we have to also take into consideration? The fact that you should be hydrating throughout the 24 hour period? Yeah, I think is that circadian kind of drinking is that, yeah, essentially, you know, if you're going to be dehydrated at any point, then that's going to increase your risk of stones, like you were saying that first morning mm. peas can be quite concentrated but do you do that with your cysteine stones so maybe? yeah or i was going to say so yeah, in that rare situation yeah. we do sometimes well, we do mm. um but it, it, life's got to be livable hasn't it so yeah. you know you don't want to be doing that so then you get up once or twice at exactly. night to go to the toilet mm. just from a lifestyle point of view and then tiredness so i think for a lot of the listeners who've had one or two stones that isn't something you particularly need to be doing mm. is any different from what you currently do yeah for very rare stone formers or very very common stone formers so cysteine is the classic example yeah. yes they are often you know in extreme examples we have probably only one or two patients they actually set an alarm for the middle of the night to drink a pint of water ah, to, right. so but that is a real extreme mm. yeah yeah um, and if you think about it what you want to do is just be trying to spread your water out throughout the day mm. you know 
my example of the surgeon not drinking during that's that's bad isn't it you dehydrate yeah. all day you can't then just have two liters at six yeah i think that that solves that you want it to be trying continuous throughout the day yeah something like you said about having a glass of water just drinking it regularly mm. i i have a a, a little 600 mil bottle mm. i care I, mean, I can't believe i haven't got it now i nearly brought it with me now didn't <laughs> i should have done this yeah. but I, I actually keep it on my on my desk um, and i show patients and when they go mm. oh i can't drink that much i go well i can yeah. here's my bottle where's your yeah. bottle oh i yeah. don't have one yeah. why not and so many people are desk based in their job and actually yeah. there should be no excuse then why they can't mm. do that to drink more mm. and i think if you if you get in a habit of doing it regularly yeah. you then actually do feel thirsty and you do want to keep doing it mm. but you just got to get into that habit of just going every morning i come into work fill up my bottle drink it by 11 fill it up again fill yeah. it up again after lunch something like that and then suddenly if you have three or four of those a day that's two liters you've had of water mm. on top of everything else you're doing yeah so that's just a very simple way of just trying to trying to uh, achieve that yeah mm. definitely yeah, no, i agree Flu balance is super interesting because you in pediatrics, obviously we're we're, mm. we're uh, prescribing water uh, according to their weight, and you know we're we're doing a much more sort of involved approach. Whereas with adults, it's sort of like two and a half liters a day is the general amount. But I guess you, you mm. can sort of titrate it to your needs by measuring it as a one-off, mm. and then just looking at the color as well. Those are sort of the main metrics. Unless uh, unless you're in a you know literally in a HDU environment or a hospital environment. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, like it's gonna it's gonna change by the season, by the amount of activity and everything mm. else. So, I you know I think those would be good general tactics to keep an eye on how much you're drinking and your output, particularly for you. Uh, yeah, so yeah that, I think that both those things make sense, really. Yeah, yeah, and stones are a lot more common in the summer. Oh, yeah. There's a reason for that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hotter, okay, you're more dehydrated. Yeah. So yeah. actually, you need to drink more in the summer to replace the loss you get through sweat. Let's talk about the type of water because mm. uh, I know that we're, uh, we're definitely <laughs> going to be asked about that. You know, are there particular mm. types of water you should be drinking? Is there a difference in the type of water you get in different parts of the country or different parts of the world? Should we be worried about that? I know you, you've looked into that. You've probably been asked that a mm. bunch of times, haven't you, uh, Matt? Yeah, and patients always ask this question. Yeah, they do, yeah. Um, you know, where I live, the water's really hard. You should see what it does to my kettle, yeah, yeah. that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Um, so no wonder I keep forming stones and you know, mm. this idea that you're furring up inside by drinking water, which isn't actually true from hard water. So hard water is hard because of calcium carbonate, um, which isn't what stones, I just said cal stones are mostly mm. calcium <laughs> oxalate. So, but it does contain calcium. Mm. Um, but the, the real, I would say to take home message is I think volume is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think people should um, should need, feel they need to spend money um, on expensive bottled water, particularly when I'm saying drink more of it, you've got to drink two or three liters. Well, that's yeah. quite expensive every day, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. it's actually volume that is important. And I, I think we're going to probably come and talk about calcium next, but actually yeah. calcium is important in the diet. Mm. Um, and you don't, and low calcium also increases your risk of stones. So actually the calcium you're getting in hard water may be important for a lot of uh, the listeners with just general yeah. occasional stones. Yeah. It may actually be important that they are getting that calcium. Yeah. There will be some people who have high calcium in the urine where maybe you do not want to be, you want to have lower calcium diets. And maybe there, that is when soft water is more important. But I think those are the people who are, should be being picked up in a hospital and being advised um, mm. through a, through a, like a metabolic stone clinic or a urologist yeah. or a nephrologist. So, that I, so I think for, for general people who don't know that they're in that situation, mm. um, I think it doesn't really matter what type of water, it's just the volume. Yeah, yeah. I think um, 
it, it's kind of reassuring. There have been studies on this as well. So people have looked at the different types of uh, water uh, or fluid, and uh, it doesn't make a difference in your stone output. Mm. But um, we were just saying this earlier, actually, that it does look like some of the, the fluid that you drink, like the, the water, for example, if you were drinking mineral water or certain types of tap water, can make a difference to your actual uh, amount of calcium, for example, in your urine, but yeah. then it could be potentially buffered more. Mm. Um, so maybe that's why you don't form stones. We were saying this earlier, weren't we? But um, yeah, uh, yeah. So essentially, those studies have looked at that, and it doesn't look like it's increasing your stones. So just like yeah. yeah, Matt was saying, it's about quantity, really, isn't it? Yeah, and people have done big, big studies, big population studies, mm -hmm. looking at hard water versus soft water areas, see if they have more stones. And the answer is they don't. Yeah. So you can look at their urine, and you will see that their calcium will go up slightly. Yeah. But, but as I just said, maybe that's a good thing. But maybe mm -hmm. it's also buffered by an increase in citrate in the urine. So that's an, and citrate's an inhibitor of stones. Mm -hmm. So so overall, when you look at the hard end point of do you make more stones if you live in a mm -hmm. hard water area compared to soft water area, the studies have said you don't. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about alkaline water now, because <laughs> that's the other thing. The we definitely get asked about alkaline yeah. water, whether it alkalizes, uh, alkalinizes the urine. Actually, I was doing a little bit of research and I typed in alkaline water on YouTube. Mm. And there's uh, a YouTuber who's literally tested all the different types of water that's uh, um, mm, okay. uh, marketed as alkaline to see whether it is actually even alkaline. And a lot of them are just just normal, like neutral compared to tap water. Oh, wow. Which is interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah. But you, you, you had some thoughts on... Uh, Alkaline water. Well, um, just because when we were sort of planning, we mentioned this before. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I'd look it up, and the uh, the one that I looked up anyway, the couple that I looked up didn't have the same uh, ingredients that we we would use to alkalize the urine, which is something that we do sometimes suggest. Yeah. So um, I think on that point, uh, then I, I suspect it wouldn't be as as useful for stone reduction. Mm. Um, so that's the the thought I had. And also, I don't think they would have the same quantities, but I didn't know that they'd not, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, even I, alkaline. I, I, it, might, it could have been like a sample lease, issue. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But yeah, but alkaline mm. water, not worth your money. I, I don't think so. I think, but you know, we can't say that for sure, I suppose, without testing. Uh, yeah, so I think we just sometimes in our in our clinic we do if people do want to look at bottled waters you can look at the amount of bicarbonate so this okay. is a slightly different thing but you can look at the amount of bicarbonate on the label mm -hmm. so you can compare them and then ideally you probably want a if you're choosing bottled water something with a higher bicarbonate level mm -hmm. but with a relatively low sodium level and they will go and they, they could both go up together in which case that's not necessarily good for you either so yeah. high, higher bicarbonate lower sodium if you're choosing one yeah that's diff slightly different from alkaline waters which are being marketed yes i don't think it's such a problem in this country at the moment i know it is a huge issue in america yeah um and there's um a friend who's a professor of nephrology in New York, we've had over to London a couple of times, I think you've probably yeah. seen him speak. Yeah. Uh, I've spoken to him about it and he has a real bugbear about it because actually really? that does alkaline water, doesn't matter what that is, it does, it's, it's all to do with the free bicarbonate in water. So it's got nothing to do with how someone is marketing it as alkaline water. So that isn't probably influencing the acidity of your urine at all. Mm. And therefore it's no beneficial for stones and you're spending a lot of money doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to get on this a bit later actually, but um, just walk me through, if someone has a stone or maybe has had two stones, mm. what what would the management of that person be in terms of looking at their urine? Would we be sending off their urine for analysis mm. to look at uh, how their urine is faring over, over a 24 hour period? Is that something that's so the norm? Generally once they're clear of stones is when you might do more of an in-depth in screen. Mm -hmm. um, uh, beyond like basic blood tests yeah. uh, and you generally should be sort of risk stratifying people which we there's no sort of formal way of doing that I think but it's a, an, an, that we particularly use but it's a sort of rough guide uh, of like the particularly high risk people for example if they've got one kidney or they're forming really frequent stones um, 
and then you might go into an in-depth in um, uh, analysis of, of why that might be happening with blood mm. tests and with um, a urine collection. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to add into that, Matt. Yeah, so if you try to identify high-risk stone formers, you normally talk about the very young, so anyone under yeah, 18 yeah. Mm. should definitely be investigated for gotcha. a metabolic cause because that uh -huh. is not normal. Uh -huh. um, um, the, the EAU guidelines sort of suggest anyone under 30, mm. anyone with bilateral stones, if you're getting stones in both kidneys, yeah. then that's a yeah. higher risk uh -huh. formation of big stones. So a staghorn mm. stone would, would, would drive that. Mm -hmm. um, possibly a very strong family history as well. So there yeah. are reasons why you might look more in depth. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a general screen, most people will, will have looked at the other kidneys to know that, the, well, both kidneys to know that there aren't any other stones. Yeah. Mm. We should be doing a blood test on everybody so we know what the kidney function is, but yeah. also know what the calcium and the uric acid or urate levels are mm -hmm. in the urine. That should be a minimum that everybody should should have had yeah. if mm -hmm. they've had a stone episode before. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, it's more complex. Gotcha. And the way that we tend to screen people is with these big fluid collections, urine yeah. collections, 24, 48 hours, you get given these big things Massive, to carry yeah. around. Yeah, jerry cans. Got to, um, yeah. And they can be very frustrating to do. You've got to bring them back. Yeah. They've got to be sent off. Often they get... It's, they get mislabeled, they get lost, yeah. they get spilled. Yeah. Um, and I would say a lot, in my experience, a lot of the time it is all normal. So you do all that effort yeah. and it's normal. So you've got to, I think you've got to try and find the right patient. The, the one who's making, coming back to you every couple of years, another stone. Yeah. You, you want to be looking, is there anything else we can find in them that is beyond diet? So yeah. you're finding yeah. another cause. So mm -hmm. yeah. you know, uh, um, hyperparathyroid or hyperparathyroidism mm -hmm. is a yeah. cause. Mm -hmm. That's why we do the blood test for calcium, yeah. um, other yeah. things. So those are, the people, those are the people you want to identify. So you can offer offer tailored advice, maybe some drugs to try and reduce their risk. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. We, we've alluded to this already, uh, so we might as well talk about it now, calcium. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I was telling you before, I did a little poll of my, not a formal poll, but like a little poll of some of my colleagues yes. mm. in primary care and actually in secondary care as well, uh, some any &E colleagues. And uh, I asked them about whether we should be restricting calcium in the diet if someone is having frequent stones. And the majority of people said yes, but that's not necessarily the case. In fact, that's the opposite of what we should be doing in the majority of people, right? In terms of dietary restriction to reduce the recurrence of, of stones. Yeah, it's, it seems counterintuitive because some of the other things that are in stones, we, we might we'll be talking about, you may be able to reduce through mm -hmm. your diet. But calcium, you've, you've got a huge amount of calcium in your body, the first thing to say, really, because yeah. your bones and your teeth uh, are all calcium. So um, the amount that you eat is not necessarily representative of the, your store of calcium, mm -hmm. but therefore, if you start to lower the amount that you're eating, you might end up reabsorption more of the, the calcium that's from your bones and your teeth, causing issues that way. Mm -hmm. um, it can actually put, uh, because of your hormone pathway as well, can put the calcium in your urine up. Mm. Um, so it can have a big sort of counterintuitive effect where you then end up having more stones because of that. So calcium's um, something to just have in your normal diet and to have a sort of normal amounts if you have even if you have calcium stones but you're you're right it's, yeah. it's something that yeah. people might want to go to and reducing the diet and that would be the wrong thing to do in this case yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and studies have looked at haven't they studies have mm. looked at trying to compare two groups two randomized groups between a low calcium diet and a high and a normal calcium yeah. diet yeah and the people with low calcium diet had an increased risk of stone formation mm. Mm. so so people should definitely not, I tell people not to cut back on dairy, particularly unless you have a lot. Mm, then of yeah. course it's working out what that means. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I'm a urologist, I'm not, I don't no. feel I'm in a position to really scrutinize someone's diet and say how much you're getting, how much milk, how much yeah. cheese, other sources of calcium. Yeah. You know, if you really want that depth, you probably need to see a dietitian or a nutritionist, I would have thought. Mm. Yeah. But 
as a general rule, don't cut back on dairy and you want to have a normal amount, which is something like a thousand milligrams a day for yeah, yeah. for most adults. Yeah. I think it goes up a little bit as, as you get older. Mm. As you yeah, get older, there's a but... there's a cutoff like after when the risk of osteoporosis increases, that's when yeah. you want to increase it to 1.2 grams per day or mm -hmm. 1,200 milligrams. But in the in most adults, it's around a, a thousand milligrams. Yeah. Uh, and there's a relationship with oxalate as well, right? So if you're restricting calcium, that changes the oxalate absorption, which can increase the risk of calcium oxalate stones. Yeah. So most, most we said most common types of stones are calcium oxalate. That's probably what most mm. people have got. Mm. Um, oxalate is often the bad party in that, rather than the calcium. We get we don't get all like oxalate, but some of it comes from the, from it can be in the diet. If you and what it does, calcium. If you have it together, calcium and oxalate actually bind in the gut and then comes out in our in our feces. If you mm. don't have the calcium, the oxalate is left unbound mm. and gets absorbed in the gut. And then you see so you do increase mm. your amount of oxalate in your blood, which can then come out in the urine mm. and it binds the calcium again and forms your calcium oxalate stone. Sounds, yeah. So yeah. that's why counterintuitively you want to have a normal calcium intake to bind yeah. the calcium in the gut before the oxalate, yeah. the oxalate yeah. sorry, in the gut before before it can be absorbed. Yeah. Mm. And we'll talk about oxalates in general actually, in terms of whether a low oxalate diet is mm. useful or whether it's recommended, uh, but we'll, we'll stick to the general advice for now because I want to keep keep people on, on this journey. Mm. Um, salt <laughs> uh, or sodium yeah. uh, specifically. Uh, what are our thoughts on on sodium restriction as as general advice for? So general advice is uh, that you reduce the amount of sodium in your diet um, and you reduce the amount of essentially calcium in your urine. So uh, it's good for. Basically, I guess it's generally good for your cardiovascular health anyway. It's better to have less salt, sodium chloride in your diet for other health reasons as well. But for uh, calcium forming stones, then it's mm -hmm. going to, uh, you know, potentially help. Yeah. So I think that's good advice. And we'd say that to everyone. Yeah, for sure. And the mechanism mm -hmm. is that in the kidney, sodium and calcium go out together. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got more salt, more sodium, sorry, yeah. uh, that, that then goes out as a, with the same transporter as calcium. So it puts yeah. more calcium out in the urine yeah. to then increase your risk of getting a calcium stone. Yeah. So that's the mechanism for that. Yeah. So it makes sense. So everyone would advise to have mm -hmm. a low salt diet. Yeah. I think in our diet sheet at Guys, we say six grams a day. I think yes. some say less than three grams a day. Mm. But the principle is salt is bad for, for the body, bad for blood pressure, bad, as you say, for car yeah. other cardiovascular risk factors. So, mm. you know, I think everybody should be trying to follow a low salt diet. And there can be a lot of s sneaky salt in diets, can't there? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. in fact, the issue salt. I find with salt in general and the conversation around salt is that most of the salt is coming from processed foods, mm -hmm. which has got a lot of sugar in, a lot of other additives, a lot of things that can be harmful for the gut, which are all sort of like conspiring uh to disrupt your cardiovascular system and and sort cause all sorts of like inflammatory issues mm. um and i was going to ask about that actually because in terms of some of the diet sheets that i've seen they've recommended five to six grams which is basically what the british heart foundation recommends as well some of them were quite low so two to three grams which is really is there any mm. are, are there specific examples where a very low uh, a highly restricted sodium diet is is useful for particular stones or is that just are they are they just trying to be a bit more aggressive with the management? I think probably the evidence would suggest as low as possible. So if you, uh -huh. so you say go aggressive. Yeah. But 
like, like we said again, it's got to be livable. This is a lifetime risk yeah. we're talking mm. about. This yeah. isn't just do it for a year and then then you can stop it. It's got yeah. to be so it's got to be doable, hasn't it? So, yeah, yeah. but it's useful for people to go away and just try and work out how much salt they are getting. You know, I think how much processed useful. foods, yeah. how much fast food, yeah. all this, the salt. You, you know, people can say, oh yeah, I've stopped putting on my food, but actually, where are you getting it in other sources? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. We, we we've also touched on this, but um, one of the recommendations was exercise, but as it pertains to weight loss rather than the exercise itself. So having a normal quote unquote weight or making sure mm. that you're not obese or have metabolic issues. So I think it, it, obesity is linked with stones, so, mm -hmm. but it probably is a bit multifactorial as some of the other dietary things you might come on to in a minute. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that, uh, my understanding is that generally, yeah, exercise will uh, uh, reduce your weight, which is then gonna have a knock on effect in, in terms of reducing stones, obviously the rest of your health benefits that we know about. Yeah. Um, I suppose with stone formers, as we said, the important thing is then to be maintaining that uh, fluid output or urine output still, because when you're exercising, you're gonna probably dehydrate yourself a bit more so you get mm. the balance right. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that's my thoughts on weight loss. More. And do you, do yeah, you and exercise contributes to an overall healthy lifestyle, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're someone who exercises regularly, you're probably you're probably not having burger and chips once a day. Because <laughs> 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 it's part of your health. It's what you do. It's part of a healthy lifestyle, isn't it? And yeah. you're yeah. regulating your weight, and then weight is, as you say, obesity is linked with yeah the increased risk of kidney well, stones. So. There's quite mm. a few CrossFitters who love uh, a low carb keto diet. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings you nicely onto the uh, next yeah, yeah. Uh, the the next part of the general advice, which is protein. Mm. Uh, in general and but we're specifically talking about protein from animal products um is that right yeah so <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a contentious subject i think yeah. because you know some people are like well i need quality protein in my mm. diet you know it's, it's useful for uh the exercise i'm, I'm doing uh osteoporosis you know uh, after menopause particularly mm. people are quite um uh, cognizant of the amount of protein in their diet for their health benefits. Yeah. Um, however, a high protein diet with too much of the purines and methionine mm. can contribute to stones. Is that? Yeah, I think um, animal protein in particular has a, it's important obviously to have protein in your diet, but if mm -hmm. you have um, animal protein, which includes uh, supplements that may be derived from animal, for example, uh, products like dairy, so whey protein and so mm -hmm. then uh, the issues there are um, to do with acidifying your urine um, mm -hmm. as a result of the uh, amino acids in that. So um, that's quite specific to high levels of animal protein in your diet, and that, that can increase your risk of those types of, of, of stones yeah. uh, from the acidification point of view. Mm -hmm. um, I guess we can't really say, therefore, that you should have lots of vegan protein instead, but yeah. you know, you could eliminate that to improve your sort of risk factor from that yeah. side. Yeah, is protein there. is important. Getting enough protein yeah. is important, isn't it? That's a message we give in our system Euro Clinic. Yeah. In for the mm -hmm. children, we don't they don't limit their protein intake at all because it's yeah. important for growth. Mm. Uh, but in adults, I mean, uh, you know, we talked about why people are getting stones, Western diets. How mm. common was a hundred years ago? How common was meat on a, on a table? Probably yeah. very rare. Probably yeah. a real mm. treat. Now most people probably do it every day and just view that as routine, isn't it? So yeah. there is a problem, yeah. I would say, with animal protein. We're having too much. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's been linked, as you say, it acidifies urine, linked with mm. calcium oxalate stone formation, uric acid mm -hmm. stone formation, which are two of the big common types of stones we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So people, you know, the general advice is to try and cut back on animal protein. I tend, I try to tell patients to have one or two vegetarian days a week. So you know, it doesn't say you can't mm. enjoy life, you can't mm. enjoy a steak, but just be aware of that. That, mm. that is increasing, one of those things that does increase your risk. Yeah. And actually, maybe it's fun to, try and 
cook at home and do a vegetarian one every Wednesday is a vegetarian mm. day something like that just that makes it fun as well yeah yeah, yeah. are vegetarians less I haven't looked at this so I probably have to go and do some research but mm. are vegetarians less likely to have stones for, for that reason or is it is it not yeah, shown so in the data I don't know if it's specifically vegetarians but the vegetarian diet in general will have more alkaline urine yeah so that's we know that's beneficial as we've said you know alkalization of the urine is uh -huh. protective so from that point of view yes yeah, I think that's uh, that will be protective. Yeah, so fruit yeah. and vegetables are good. So fruit yeah. and vegetables <laughs> yeah. do the opposite of animal protein. <laughs> yeah. Fruit yeah. and vegetables yeah. cause alkalization yeah. of your urine. Uh -huh. So, um, so it stands to reason there that following a, mm. a, a typical vegetarian diet rather than a high animal protein diet yeah. will is the sort of diet we're trying to say to stone forms you yeah. should be having. So, yeah. so yes. I think is the answer to that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess it also increases your fiber consumption as well, which reduces the absorption of, of calcium uh, in, in yeah, the gut. Yeah, so fiber's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about urine mm. alkalization and acidification uh, as it relates mm. to, to stones. What, what do we mean by by this? Because I th there's there are a bunch of uh, diets out there uh, over the last you know couple of decades that have, have you know claimed to alkalize your body, mm. and I think there is a sort of implied it, 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 it's sort of implied that it changes your blood pH level, which, you know, mm. it, as, as we all know, is, is not going to happen. Mm. Um, so what do we mean by by urine alkalization and, and acidification? Well, um, in general terms, what, for what we mean uh, when we do it, it's sort of for, for stone patients mm. is that you are uh, giving medication to achieve that rather than just doing it through purely through your diet. Mm -hmm. um, and typically it'd be something like potassium citrate that they're taking. Um, and you can have strategies for doing that but then that's sort of taking it through the day that en ends up uh with them having alkaline urine compared to the normal ph for urine mm -hmm. um so that that's what we mean sort of in general terms for us if that's mm -hmm. like kind of broad view and then obviously like we said for most stones that's going to reduce your risk i mean the, the exceptions we said like already we mentioned those sort of struvite type yeah. of stones uh and pure calcium phosphate stones as well so mm -hmm. you wouldn't do it for those types but everything else will pretty much uh have a benefit from that yeah, and I suppose to explain that slightly differently, the, yeah. the pH of the body, the urine mm. is actually quite a tight range. It's between yeah. 5.5 and 8. Yeah. So whereas you can buy pH strips that measure from 0 to 1 to 14, mm. actually, you're not going to get, you don't get urine. It can't, mm. it's not physiologically possible to have a urine of pH 3 or, no. or yeah. 13, 14. So it's quite a tight range. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so what we tend to see is in the more acidic urine, so that's on the sort of 5, 5.5, maybe six level, you increase your risk of getting calcium oxalate and uric acid stones. Mm -hmm. If you can get that level, num that pH level up mm -hmm. to more like 6.57, mm -hmm. then you significantly reduce that. Yeah. And in fact, with uric acid, you can actually dissolve them. So you, you, you really do prevent it by getting there because mm. because actually moves out the, the uric acid sort of dissociation point in the urine mm -hmm. so it is fully dissolved if you mm. can re reliably achieve about 6.5 to 7. You can have amazing results with like really big stones, uric acid stones. Oh, wow. Just yeah, be dissolved. It's the only type yeah. of stone you can dissolve. So patients often mm. ask that, can you dissolve yeah. this stone? So yeah. yes, in yes. a situation that Very is uric specific. acid. Yeah. yeah. But that does happen. And we have mm. seen that, with, as you say, with complete staghorn stones that can that mm. can be dissolved. Interesting. Um, and then just finally to say, sort of, I mean, I was saying, talk a lot about cysteine urine, cysteine stones. Yeah, but that's good. another one where actually the more alkaline you can make it, the more it gets dissolved in, in the urine. Uh -huh. uh, so we actually aim for even higher then, which is more like 7.5 to 8. Oh, right. Um, and if you people can achieve that then that, that does significantly reduce the amount of of, 
solid cysteine in the urine. So that obviously reduces your risk of stone formation. The risk with all of this is if you get it too high, mm -hmm. you then can precipitate calcium phosphate, which you just mentioned mm, yeah. is why you wouldn't do it. Yeah. So yeah. In, in situations where you have a calcium phosphate stone, you do not want to be up in the, you don't want to be over alkalizing the urine and getting up to eight, 8.5, anything like that. Yeah, So, right. But again, for majority of people listening, that is not you. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for the majority of people, you know, you would, you, if you're getting that and getting it regularly, you're going to be under a urologist, under a stone clinic, yeah. mm. and you're going to know that's your type of stone. So most yeah. people are going to have calcium oxide stones. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, is there any rationale for somebody who has recurrent stones to check the pH of their urine on a weekly basis? Using a using a strap, they're very easily you know yeah. purchasable. You know, it costs a few quid. I suppose it'd be useful to. I mean, I've not ever suggested it to anyone, but it'd be useful to know. Obviously, I think for someone who's had one or two yeah. stones and worried about yeah. about stones for the future, it probably isn't mm -hmm. um, particularly useful. Because I think you just want to follow. It's more important mm -hmm. to just focus on the things we talked about. So yeah. focus on fluid. Yeah. Focus on just a healthy diet, low salt, mm. mixing up the diet, not too much animal, all of that. Yeah. Rather than go, oh look, my pH is five point five, or my pH mm. is seven. Yeah. What does that mean in for someone who's had a stone every five years? Yeah. That yeah. probably doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. I mean, we do give. Um, I do advise people to test their urine. So if they've got uric acid stones, you want to alk mm. and we're deliberately alkalizing their urine in a stone clinic, yeah. we get everyone to try and measure their, their urine pH mm. uh -huh. either with dipsticks or with pH meters. And actually we did a little study on that and you can buy really cheap pH meters on Amazon, say, yeah, yeah. for about 10, 15 pounds, which are just as reliable as pH meters strips, that, are, yeah. that, are, that are 100 pounds and probably mm. more accurate than strips and stuff or, oh, okay. or it's certainly comparable but much easier to do because otherwise the strips you're looking yeah, at yeah you're always going, looking yeah. is, that, is that that shade of green or that shade <laughs> yeah, of green yeah, yeah. And you're not and you're not sure was this just gives you a, a very yeah, accurate answer, digital yeah. reading so yeah. um mm. so for those patients um yes definitely definitely is useful and we yeah. get all our assisting patients to do it obviously but again that's that's a, a niche uh, a niche group of patients. And, and just to clarify, mm. you'd be <clears throat> alkalinizing the urine using medications in those instances, or is it would would it be through diet as well? So, so well, the principles of diet are, are yeah. there, and people should be doing it anyway. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, we, we're alkalinizing the urine deliberately, yeah, because mm. they because they've got a uric acid stone that either you don't want, they keep getting it and you want to prevent it, so you yeah. get the urine pH up, or or you're dissolving it, yeah. or in cysteine, or something like that, where you're, and the, so yes, we're deliberately giving medications there to alkalize their urine, and we want to check that the medications are actually having the desired mm. effect. Because there's no point giving the medication, and it's not making any difference to the pH, so mm. you, you need to know in that situation. Yeah. So with that, with those pH meters, did you find that, because I've not seen that before, that whether, was their pH varying a lot during like a weekly basis for those patients, or? Um, it does fluctuate a lot during the day, yeah. Mm. So um, it's got a lot to do with what we eat and drink, not surprisingly. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, is, it is fascinating. We've had a couple of patients who look really in-depth at this in our cysteine. Yeah. They're a very driven group of patients yeah, to, um, yeah. uh, to look at this and done some amazing diaries of every single time for a few weeks they've done it. If you have a steak, you can see that the pH goes down. You know, If you have a beer, it goes mm. down a bit. But um, And then they just drink more water and it comes up a bit and you can see. Yeah. So that one in particular, that, I'm, that patient in particular I'm talking about, really mm. showed beautifully the effect yeah. the diet can have. Yeah. And, and he was then compensating. And then he stopped doing it, but he mm. says, I now know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm still going to enjoy a steak, but I know I'm going to drink more water when I do it because yes. I know it's going to cause my 
my urine pH to dip. I think that's a really important mm. point, actually, because all these things are just tools that give yeah. us a bit more granularity on how we are reacting to what we eat and drink. Mm. So it's the same thing with like continuous glucose monitors. It's just a tool. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, can go a bit too in depth with it and just eat fat, for example, which is just going to keep your glucose level completely flat. Mm. That, you know, as long as it's fat, with no sugar in. Um, but that's not going to be a, a good strategy lifelong. Yeah having that you want to have all the other elements in your diet so this i think is it's good to do for a little while to see how you react but not necessarily something that you want to get overly sort i think of that's right with. it's a kind of understanding tool isn't it as well yeah but i think that's i mean uh, that is why we kind of restratify a little bit when we're deciding treatment so not everyone is going to have that full in-depth like extensive blood work and metabolic yeah. you know, stone screen yeah. um, because it's just not necessary because stones are, like we just said are so common you get mm. one in ten one in eight people having them in their life um, and that might just be their one stone that they have, it, mm. you know, then they maybe add a bit more fluid into the diet, or whatever. And, it, and it, you don't need to kind of, you know, go crazy chasing yeah. your urine pH every day or every like throughout the day. Whereas mm. for that, the sort of cysteine patients you mentioned that where they are doing it, that could be really relevant because that will help them balance it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, reduce the risk. Green juices are really popular. <laughs> green juices. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> raw green juices yeah. where you have literally like a bag of kale, a bag of spinach, Every now and then, mm. like all good, but some people will have this every single day. Are they putting themselves at risk of stones given what we just talked about with regard to the fact that it's high in oxalates, but it's also going to alkalinize your, your urine as well? Yeah, so we're, that's a nice segue into oxalates, isn't it? Good question. Huh? I've never yeah. been asked that question. No. <laughs> exactly. um, so yeah, so yeah. Ox should we talk about oxalates? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about oxalates. Oxalates. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So oxalates, yeah. common type, common, most common type of stone, calcium yeah. oxalate. So, but only about 10 to 15% of oxalate comes from the diet. So most mm -hmm. of it's made by the body. So 85% of it, you can't do anything about. So that's mm -hmm. number one to say. Yeah. Um, you can look online and find huge lists of yeah. um, foods that have got different and oxalate levels and break it down into high, medium, low, et cetera. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that you find in those lists is actually really healthy stuff. Mm. So spinach, mm. yeah. as you mentioned then, is one of the ones that is actually on the particularly high end of the spectrum with oxalates. But it's healthy in other ways. Mm -hmm. And fruit and vegetables are good mm. and they help to alkalize the urine. And yeah. So I tend to people they tend to tell people that they can have a look at that list. If you have any one of those in particularly high quantities mm -hmm every day, so all, all, all the time, then you might want to just moderate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that, that doesn't mean you have to cut it all out because otherwise you're cutting out a lot of very healthy things as well. So, yeah. But again, it's just yeah. about awareness, I think. You know, life's there to be enjoyed. If you enjoy eating that and it's healthy, yeah. and then, uh, then, yeah. then do it. But just be aware of what that's doing and maybe just drink more water with that. So if I'm going to have something that's high in mm. oxalate, well, I'll just drink some more water to counterbalance that. Mm. It's, it's a sort of general advice I try to give rather than people going, oh yeah, I've cut this out, cut this out, cut this out, yeah. cut steak out. You're like, well, yeah. what, what are you enjoying? Yeah, what, yeah, what, are, you, yeah, what yeah. are you eating? Yeah, I yeah. think that's it. Because you can, in general terms as well, everything else is a bit easier because you can yeah. say, look, water, drink lots. We've told you the strategy, salt, yeah. you've got to reduce that protein, you've got to reduce that. And then you come into oxalates mm. and people are like, you know, generally the public and the patients won't know what that is. And I don't think I would unless, uh, you know, I did this job and looked into it. And yeah. Like you say, the list is, it, it's lots of fruits, vegetables, nuts, sesame seeds for some reason, you know, soy products as well. Mm. Um, so uh, it's a really broad spectrum of things. And I think that's uh, most of the advice would be avoid excessive consumption. Yeah. Because your body produces oxalates anyway. And, in, you know, it's involved in other um, 
metabolism, like we've said. So there will still be oxalates there, regardless of what you do with your diet. But if you are forming lots of uh, calcium oxalate stones and you do have an excessive amount of one of those things, then it is something to look at and reduce. Yeah. Well, where's uh, most of the oxalate helpful. coming from? You mentioned it earlier. Um, well, it, it's kind of a byproduct of like respiration, essentially, in, in your body. So you're 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 making it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a certain amount that's coming through your diet as well. Yeah. Was, I looked through um, these lists and. Yeah. This is basically what I use to make all my recipes. <laughs> yeah. So it's got it's got nuts, yeah. sesame seeds, peanut butter, some fruit, tangerines, plums, rhubarb, soy products, like a, yeah. a lot of stuff. And and I guess uh, we were talking about this before uh, before in terms of if you have a moderate oxalate consumption and you're reducing your calcium levels, that's going to increase your risk of uh, calcium oxalate yeah. stones as well. So it yeah, it's just something to to bear in mind, I guess. Mm. Yeah, bear it in mind, but don't yeah. go crazy with it. And yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, a lady I'll give a shout out to her, Christina Peniston, who's a <laughs> dietitian in Wisconsin, who, yeah. who I know quite well, and also had over to London recently and gave us a gave a talk at the, the Royal Society of Medicine. Oh, um, and she's just written an article saying don't cut back on oxalates. Yeah. She's a dietitian because yeah. that's you know because of because of actually all the benefits in most of those that mm. foodstuffs that you get. Yeah. Look at the other bits. Look at the animal protein bit of it. Yeah. You know, look at the balancing thing is to sort that bit out, not to not to cut back on what is what is largely healthy stuff. So yeah. I think you're okay with all your yeah, vitamin C and oxalates. Uh, oh, yeah. Is that something people? I mean, vitamin C has become very popular mm. post COVID as well. well so. I think it's interesting actually because in general, in your your medical history, I, I've not really asked about vitamins or supplements yeah. before, um, but. Uh, I guess more like reading around for this talk as well, mm. looking into vitamin C and um, essentially a lot of people, like you say, having high dose vitamin C, it's a precursor for oxalates. So they may be unwittingly sort of putting a lot of oxalates into their diet. Mm. Um, and if if you're having over like a gram and some people are having like three grams a day, then they're going to definitely uh, raise the amount of oxalates in the body and probably in the urine. Mm. Um, probably okay for most people. But again, then if you are forming calcium oxalate stones, that might be the reason why, or that yeah. might be contributing to it. Yeah. So. Something think, to be aware of, I guess. Yeah, it's a good thing to be aware of. Yeah, I haven't got much to add to that, but yeah. definitely yeah. vitamin C intake being correlated with increased risk of kidney stones, calcium yeah. oxalate kidney stones. Yeah, so, and it's not something we usually ask about, or I have not until no. now. Um, and you may not be told what drugs do you take. You don't, yeah. patients don't say, oh yeah, yeah. You know, they yeah, exactly. don't mention those things. So yeah, so it is the high dose, isn't it? It's 500 mm. or greater, you know, kind of doses. How, how like 500 milligrams oh okay those tablets yeah. or greater because it's yeah. something like you need about 60 milligrams of vitamin c a day that's normal, right but th- there normal, are some normal some sort of recommended like up to a gram or even more like yeah you know i've seen before so one to four be grams taking. is what people have been taking yeah. as a as an antiviral sort of dose yeah um so yeah pretty high pretty up there mm. um yeah but if if you if you've never made a stone, I think you probably keep going with what you're doing, don't you? If yeah. You made a lot of stones. You're making ox- calcium oxalate stones in particular. Then you probably should look at that and work out what the risk benefit ratio is, because there's yeah. definitely a risk to taking it. Yeah. So where's your benefit? You know, where's the actual evidence that taking those high doses is beneficial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking earlier a bit about um, the uh, overly acidic urine being the main risk factor for uric acid stones. Um, when people think of uric acid, they think allopurinol, uh, which is a medication mm. that we use for gout. Has that been shown to be effective at all, or is that is that old-fashioned yeah. advice? No, allopurinol is very effective at lowering your uric acid in your your sort of blood, particularly. Mm. And mm. I think as a knock-on, then it will help with your urine. 
Um, but I don't think it is specifically lowers the urine uh, uric acid. Okay, um, that's my understanding of it. Um, but yeah, definitely, if your your uric acid is high in your, in your bloodstream, then you you would be suggesting that. Yeah, mm. and that's why I want that's one of those mandatory blood tests I said earlier. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is uric acid or urate to yeah. mm-hmm. that. So, um, so yeah, if you're getting gout and you have got a high urate and you have got a uric acid stone, then I think it's a no-brainer. You should be on. Mm. You should probably you'll be advised to take allopurinol. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people have very with uric acid stones necessarily mm. have high urate levels. So if, if the blood level yeah. is normal then there is no benefit no benefit yeah. taking yeah. allopurinol gotcha so but there is clear benefit to alkalization of the urine yeah and as i say if you can you can reach yes. a certain level where it will be fully dissolved yeah if you yeah. if you can achieve that that yeah. level of alkalization i feel like i'm going to have like a green salad and check the ph of my <laughs> yeah. urine i've never done that before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just out of interest i think it would be because there no there are no symptoms of like if you were to mm. have a steak or you know beer and um, whatever there aren't any specific symptoms of acidic urine are there assuming that we're not doing it long term we have a stone no just no you won't know you wouldn't know never know yeah. yeah yeah okay great uh any other specific dietary factors for specific types of stones before we move on to supplements uh i think that's what yeah i mean we've got what have we done? Um, drinks, different types of drinks we haven't talked about. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Good, yeah. good drinks, bad drinks. Yeah, 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 tea, coffee, fizzy drinks. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about that. Um, so it doesn't know what to have to be water. So yeah, yeah. Water's boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People um, ask about beer. I like obviously. water. <laughs> so, so you can definitely flavor it, yeah. number mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, that's absolutely fine. And like we keep saying, it's the volume that's important, really. Yeah. Um, one way of flavoring it, which is good, is to put lemons in it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, lemons is a very natural way of alkalizing your urine. Uh-huh. And I quite commonly say to patients to squeeze, and there is evidence for this, to squeeze mm. the juice of one or two whole lemons per day into a liter of water. So get a big liter jug, yeah. squeeze one or two whole mm. lemons in, uh-huh. and then drink that as your, throughout the day as your, as your fluid. And you're getting the benefits of all that citrate from the, from the yeah. lemons naturally, which will alkalize your urine. And, and it's a way of flavoring it as well. So yeah. that's a really good thing to do. To be really sort of geeky on this, I tried to look into this and to see what, like, whether that was good <laughs> advice or not. And because I've, I've definitely heard it throughout, and I, I've said to people as well, whether it's a few drops or like two lemons. Uh-huh. Um, but I think what, what I tend to eventually see was essentially that the citrate may end up um, becoming more of a, like a bicarb buffer because it's because uh, I was thinking actually, is citrate is something that you drink like the lemon juice citrate there going to end up in your your urine or not? Because that's obviously citrate is a buffer in your urine that we we're hoping mm. it will help but um i think it looks like probably through metabolism it's not going to end up there but um but it, it, but will, it increases the bicarbonate it will increase so the you're bicarb. right because exactly. citrate is a yeah. stone inhibitor naturally in the urine yeah. Yeah. but lemons and things like that don't or potassium right. citrate yeah potassium citrate either don't increase your citrate i can be corrected yeah if I'm yeah yeah, yeah. Not necessarily yeah. an expert that's on right. this yeah. right. but they yeah. don't increase your citrate level specifically uh-huh. in the urine but they mm. but uh, but they increase the bicarbonate and by increasing the bicarbonate yeah. that increase that causes your citrate to go higher in the urine yeah because right. it's so that's the mechanism so for i had that. a moment where i was like oh i shouldn't be yeah. um, suggesting lemon juice and then i went back to oh yeah but the mechanism is through yeah. bicarbonate which is why your citrate goes up in the urine yeah so yeah, not that it just goes through the body and suddenly comes out as the yeah, same as lemon citrate, juice. Yeah, exactly. that, yeah. that Is that the same for yeah. all citrus fruits then, like uh, limes or grapefruit or... Or do, is it specifically lemons? <laughs> no, people, 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 say specifically lemons, people have looked at that. Could, I think lemons and things, limes are equally yeah. good-ish. Okay. Equally-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, grapefruit, I think, is okay. Probably not. Mm-hmm. I think lemons and limes are the best. Uh-huh. Yeah. Orange, less so, but... 
Uh-huh. You do sweet different things and get different mm. different take home messages from stuff. So some people say but, that some certain uh, like fruit juices and things, and I guess you're going to come onto it as well, could be harmful because of like the other side effects with having like more acidity and so on. So right, okay. it's yeah, you, you always sort of it's a delicate balance, isn't it? The but, acidity yeah. from that maybe coming from the sugar. So if um, you're having a fruit juice, which is something that we don't recommend mm. anymore as part of. Um, if you're literally having like apple juice, you've got mm. rid of all the fiber, you have a high amount of the natural sugar fructose. Yes. Um, and so you're basically having the equivalent of like a, a sugar yeah. sweetened beverage, like Coca-Cola or whatever, um, which can increase your uric acid level as well. Um, mm. So that might be one of the reasons why. I think that would be contributing. Probably. Yeah. Uh, other drinks, sorry. I, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going off yeah, on a yeah, tangent yeah, lemon juice there, yeah. which I liked. Mm. <laughs> um, so um, in, in general, tea, is yeah. considered to be bad, a little bit controversial in studies because some big studies that have grouped everything together have sort of not shown a difference. Mm. So there may be a volume effect that's that's playing out there as well. But tea does have oxalate in it. So again, just be mm. aware of that. Okay. If you have 15 cups of tea a day and people do. A lot of people do. People do. Then that is probably, that is too much. Yeah. I think um, you could say that's black tea, isn't it? Rather than green yeah. tea. Just I was going to say, people, yeah, like the other English breakfast, uh, yes, the, black, the black tea that are have the oxalates in it so okay. other things may be okay or may yeah and there's a difference between brewing time as well if you're someone who dips the tea bag in and takes it out yeah then that is going to be far lower risk than someone who lets it stew in there until yeah. the mm. teaspoon almost stands up in it so yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a, there a massive difference, <laughs> yeah. difference in that as well yeah um and then That's regarding yeah and then regarding <laughs> fizzy drinks generally carbonated these carbonated drinks bad for kidney stones yeah. but certain ones are worse than others so things like diet coke diet mm. pepsi that sort of thing are there and it's because they're acidified using phosphoric acid phosphoric acid yeah so if you're gonna have ah. anything you're better off with things like diet and they're all better being diet because of the sugar like you mentioned yeah mm. so diet seven up diet sprite diet sunkist those have been shown to be better because they've got their acidified with citric acid ah mm. okay so it depends on the t- yeah, i guess it, it's on the ingredients list yeah yes It'll yeah it there. is yeah you can just look on that's what i was thinking when you were saying earlier about sugar i was thinking the the acid component is uh, yeah is different and important yeah, but but some people drink a liter mm. of coke a day. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. I mean that's not uncommon. No, and that is definitely that. increasing your risk. Yeah, yeah. Because you actually you're, you're, probably this is to this podcast don't really realize that actually we we all live in our little bubble right mm. you know where we feel like everyone understands like coke is bad for you or mm. sugar sweetened beverages are bad for you but it's a it's a very common occurrence I've I've seen that in primary care secondary care it's just, yeah it's terrible um, other drinks so you, you mentioned green tea there. Uh, mm. Is that has that got oxalates in? Probably have to do some research on that. So uh, if it does, it's much lower than black tea because that's the one that's always mentioned on the the yeah. list as a problem. Yeah. In particular, um, so I, I, you know, I assume that would be fine for you. But I guess the only caveat as a urologist would be to say that there is caffeine there, which may have a knock-on effect in terms of your um, bladder overactivity and frequency. Ah, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, so a slightly different issue that you may have with that. But yeah, I think. If that sort of flavoring helps, mm-hmm. like a sort of light squash, you know, the, the concentration might be key there as well in yeah. terms of like make, not making it too concentrated. Yeah. Quick dip in and out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back, yeah. Uh, That's coffee. been looked at in studies. Studies have looked yeah. at at brewing time and stuff oh, really? like that. Yeah. That so. And caffeine is bad. Caffeine also dehydrates you, doesn't it? Yeah. Because mm. it's yeah. got a mild diuretic effect, yeah. so it makes you pee more. Yeah. So although that's transiently good, actually, in the long term, that dehydrates you and yeah. that's bad for kidney stones, isn't it? So yeah. Yeah. I worked for someone once who said, always, if you have a coffee, always just, and you're a kidney stone former, have a glass of water with, with it, it as well. Mm, yeah. And he said, that's what they do on the continent because they understand this. I'm not sure that's why they do it. But, <laughs> you, know, but yeah. you always get given a glass of water. You're yeah. given a yeah. very yeah. strong coffee and a glass of water. If you go to a mm. good coffee house, even in London these days, they'll always give you 
uh, some water, water with your with your coffee. Mm. Um, so top tip for uh, <laughs> if you go to a good coffee house, they'll give you a bit of co- uh, a bit a good bit of water with that as well. Um, I don't uh, think I had anything else with fluids. Did you? I think that's the, my main mm. um, yeah. alcohol, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Some of your Actually, listeners I'm, might drink yeah, alcohol. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy a nice glass of wine every now and then. <laughs> People always ask about beer because they're like that. If I drink lots of beer, then I'm peeing loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you just can't really recommend it. No. Beer, <laughs> no. Although <laughs> I came across, uh, I don't know uh, how up to date this was. I think it was from like 2019. They found that uh, moderate drinkers actually had a slightly reduced risk of stones, mm. which I, I personally didn't understand, but. Yeah, so it seems that as long as you're not drinking excessively, it shouldn't mm. be an issue and you're hydrating properly, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I sort of fall back on the normal advice about alcohol and not yeah. drinking yeah. excessively anyway. So yeah. actually you shouldn't be doing that from a lifestyle point of view, should I? So yeah, yeah, yeah. standard 14 or 21 units, whatever yeah. it is yeah. per week type of advice. But I guess you're, that's all, flu- it is fluid, isn't it? But that's yeah. not the recommend, it's not recommended. You should have two pints of beer a day. Yeah. Yeah. But people often with colic, so when they get colic pain, say, oh, I'm going to drink more beer because then flush it out. <laughs> and there probably is something in that, isn't there? Because actually yeah. you do want to make sure you're maintaining good hydration. You don't yeah. need to go crazy, mm. but maintaining good hydration. But so some people do swear by that. Yeah. yeah. Um, citrate, sub- on the subject of lemon juice, I just wrote mm. citrate supplement. You can get citrate supplements these days. Is that something that we use at all? Is that any- Would that be, do you know what that's- con- combined with I'm not too no. sure yeah mm. no, i just i just wrote it down as we were talking about lemon juice <clears throat> and the impact of citrate on uh, oxalate stones specifically yeah is that something you looked at with your supplement well i mean so we alkalize the urine with mm. potassium citrate yeah. Yeah. That's what we use. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what we use and it can mm. come in different forms mm. so yeah. um so yeah and that can be liquid effervescent mm. tablets uh-huh. or or tablets but they're very hard to get hold of yeah. but that's the mm. medical forms yeah i think on Amazon, you can find all sorts of things. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But it's very hard to advise on those because we don't really know what's in them. Mm. Uh, there are some well-known brands in America. There's a couple of papers that have got like a list of 10 of the top brands. And they do actually list the alkali quantity the oh, okay. quantity in them because that's the important mm. thing. What, what I wouldn't, I don't know by just looking at a thing on Amazon and going, oh yeah, that is whether that's good or bad. What is actually in it, what you're marketing it for. So, mm. but potentially mm. something that's that like that will be good at alkalizing the urine and Mm -hmm. generally that's a good thing to do okay Mm. um without without recommending it without recommending it yeah 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 yeah. i think with all this stuff you really do need to like work with your primary care physician as Mm. well uh, or your urologist if you if if you have one um vitamin d is very common Uh, Mm. i recommend vitamin d is something that people should at least get checked Mm. A lot of uh, it's part of government guidance during uh, winter months, particularly for people with darker skin complexion. Uh, adverse effects of vitamin D um, are there so any? Vitamin D is the sort of that you don't want it too high or too low. You want the sort of Goldilocks, Goldilocks in the middle, yeah. of, in the yeah, middle, yeah. yeah, essentially. So if it is too low, the, um, yeah, exactly, you can cause uh, issues with that as well. Because mm-hmm. um, it's linked with your calcium again, so it's essentially increasing your calcium uh, reabsorption. So you want it in the right levels where it's it's not too excessive essentially mm, yeah um but yeah but how do you know that unless you're going to get mm. tested so therefore you should have it tested yeah yeah, yeah. you say so particularly people who have come to see us with kidney stones and they're on vitamin d yeah you know, do you actually need it why are you taking it if it was given by a gp because of medical advice then then again risk benefit that's probably fine isn't it yeah. you probably mm. do need it or if it was given to 
for medical reason because you had low vitamin D and yeah, that's yeah. good and that's fine. If you're just giving it because it was a healthy thing to do, so I'm having my vitamin C, vitamin D and all mm, of this, yeah. then you've got to work out whether they're actually going to be too high as yeah. well. So, yeah. But generally, I think our feeling has been that vitamin D on its own as a supplement doesn't particularly increase your risk of kidney stones, probably because you're just going, you're correcting the population from yeah. tending to be on the low side, particularly mm. in winter months, to tending to be in the normal range. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and that's a good, and that's where you want to be. Yeah. Mm. The risk is that some sub, some supplements have got calcium in them as well. So they combine yes. calcium and vitamin D together. Yes. Mm. And so calcium supplements are definitely bad for kidney stones. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no two ways about that. Yeah. Just for the reasons we said earlier, you know, mm. you want normal calcium, but calcium supplements are going to, are going to are going to put you up quite a long way, I think, because yeah. you get you should get your thousand milligrams or whatever it is mm. relatively easy in your diet, yeah. unless you're, you know, unless you've got a very strange diet or something. So, yeah. well, that's so you quite get that. easy with with dairy, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose, yes, if you're not yeah. if you don't have dairy, then then yes. Yeah. Um, so if you take calcium supplements, I think what I said about it is there's got to be a good reason why you take it. Yeah, and there are mm. good reasons. You know, people get osteoporosis. Um, risk of fractures from that and that's yeah. you know a 10 to 15 year risk isn't it mm. which is which is improved with calcium supplements but it's that risk benefit ratio and i'm as a urologist okay. i'm not here to try and judge what yeah. your individual risk is for osteoporosis and yeah. getting um uh, and getting or potentially fractures from yeah. it but i can advise you on the fact that this increases your risk of getting kidney stones yeah. by being on the supplement so then you've got to work out with whoever prescribed it yeah. where that benefit is if it was given just mm. because oh yeah it's a good idea you're you know you're 65 mm. now we'll give you some calcium supplements i would say that's not a good reason to be yeah. on them and maybe you should be referred for some you know like a bone dexa scan or yes. something like that yeah, yeah. to prove whether you have osteoporosis and whether yeah. you whether you need it or not yeah is what i say to patients yeah in the situation mm. where you are told you should or you, you you do need to take it yeah there's a definite benefit to taking your calcium supplements at, with meals mm -hmm. and that's because we, like we've already talked about the calcium when it goes in, in with your meal binds the oxalate from that meal mm. in the gut. Right, yes. So some of that then comes out as, the, as calcium oxalate in your feces mm. and doesn't get absorbed. Yeah. So if you don't do it at that time, then you're getting your more, more calcium being absorbed because yeah. you're taking it outside meal times mm. and you're not binding it with the oxalate, which is also then being absorbed at meal times. Yeah. So you're definitely increasing your risk of getting mm. kidney stone formation by doing that. Yeah, if you think about that 24 mm. hour time period and you've got these spikes of different things. So I'm having a big uh, rich meal of spinach, my oxalate level goes up there. <laughs> and then I, I take my calcium later on that day and I have a big mm. spike of calcium. You're not giving the opportunity for the calcium and oxalate to bind and be naturally processed through feces. So I, I guess that's mm. like, that's, that's generally good advice. If you have yeah. a genuine indication for taking calcium supplements, I won't ask you to go into calcium homeostasis here, <laughs> but low vitamin yeah. D, why would low vitamin, if I had a, a naturally low vitamin D, why would that be uh, a risk factor for uh, renal stones? Because, do you want me to answer that? Yeah, good. <laughs> because yeah. parathyroid hormone mm -hmm. controls, is involved in controlling um, vitamin D and calcium. Mm -hmm. And so when you've got a low vitamin D, yep. your parathyroid hormone goes up to try and compensate for that. And mm -hmm. by doing that, it generates mm -hmm. generates more calcium mm -hmm. protection in the body. So it increases your, the amount of calcium. Yeah. So therefore, you get, you get a higher calcium and therefore increased risk of kidney stones. So if you correct the vitamin D, if it's low, you increase it, you bring down your parathyroid hormone. Yep. And then you, so then you, you correct the calcium. And yep. we see that mm. sometimes in blood tests, you do it and the calcium is a little bit high. Um, and that's because of the, you then need to check to see the vitamin D because maybe mm. it's the vitamin D that's the problem and they do need vitamin D. Yeah, great.
I, I said thanks. I wasn't going to ask you but yeah, you did. Yeah, thanks, yeah. <laughs> I got that right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I did find some stuff on, mm. on particular uh, types of microbes that degrade oxalate, but there isn't too much evidence around that. And the last paper I saw was literally like eight mm. years ago. But I think it's sort of uh, one of these spaces which is like watch this space because mm. I, I think there's going to be a lot more... Um, uh, research looking at particular types of microbes that will degrade uh, oxalates in your in your gut. Um, so that's definitely. I mean, a high fiber diet is recommended uh, as mm. that. You know, it could be uh, for a whole bunch of things, but um, it might be related to the fact that it's improving your microbiota, um, which can improve uh, the oxalate balance. But uh, in terms of other supplements that we are aware of that have a potential beneficial effect, what what other ones are that we've talked about? Um, mm. Uh, vitamin D and and so I mean the other thing people take mm. about I don't know about benefit but risk um, is protein supplements. Uh -huh. Well, yeah. So protein build up drinks. I go to the gym. I need to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I universally say that that increases your risk of kidney stones. Mm -hmm. So people with kidney stones should avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's is quite it... common actually to see like maybe someone who's going for weight gain like uh, muscle size things. So yeah. Just going to the gym a lot and being uh, quite built up to have uh, kidney stones now. So and that's. You know, you could say that's quite likely to be related to the supplements. Yeah, mm. um, and there's clear evidence that that yeah. that is bad. So, yeah. um, uh, some people don't like it because obviously they do it and they want to build up. They bear to build up their muscles, and they say yeah. they need it because they're doing it all. Yeah. And I tell them they need to go and see a dietitian or a nutritionist in that uh -huh. situation because I can't advise you then. Yeah. But in general, protein build-up drinks and shakes are bad for kidney stones. Okay, mm. fine. Because because they're being marketed pretty heavily, I think mm. these days, particularly to men who are more risk of mm. of kidney stones in general. Um, and is it because of the uh, excess amount of purines that would lead to acidification in in the in the kidneys? Is that the yeah? I the think it's the, the sort of amino acids, particularly in um, the animal protein, that that's, it will end up then acidifying your urine. Okay, if yeah. it was a vegan protein, I know. Yeah, so it, I don't think it has the same effect, but it doesn't mean that I could never particularly recommend vegan protein. I, uh -huh. I don't know if there's any other risks with it, but I don't, it wouldn't have that effect, I know, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. they're d generally derived from like peas, brown mm. rice, um, hemp. Yeah, um, but that's not what people are taking, as, I don't think, are they, for gym supplements? Oh, yeah, it's becoming a know, trend, you know. I think, as more people move to mm. more flexi and plant-based diets these types of powders yeah. are becoming a lot more popular but I, the I guess they don't have a whey protein yeah. aren't they which the is typical kind of one yeah traditionally the incumbents are whey from yeah. dairy yeah 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 and people try to argue that with me and say it's, it's whey that's fine and it's definitely not because i then i looked it <laughs> yeah. up yeah, yeah exactly. i saw that page and i went yeah. away and i thought i'm just going to check that out. <laughs> yeah it definitely does increase your risk as well yeah so, okay fine um intuitively i think your 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 other your sort of Vegetarian, vegan supplements are probably fine yeah. intuitively. Yeah. That's what I think as well, but it's, it's one of those where you don't know if you can really recommend it because it, yeah, I don't know if but, there's any evidence for that. Yeah, um, I think it's also, you know, looking at your total protein consumption and, and actually seeing whether a supplement of protein is even necessary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause I think most people are obsessed with point. protein and, and actually they should be more concerned with the quality of their diet, the amount of fiber in their diet and making sure they don't have all the other additives like mm. sugar and, and yeah. excess sodium. That's right. And I think if you're getting kidney stones and then you're thinking about that, that's when you need to get advice on that. Yeah. And yeah. I say, I don't think as urologists we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
But it is an important thing to ask, like you said about the mm. vitamin C. You don't ask about vitamin C. You don't necessarily ask about exactly about yeah. protein unless they, uh, for me, unless someone looks like they go to the gym. You go, do you go to the gym? Or not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you take protein? Oh yeah, yeah. I take, yeah. I take, oh, that's naughty. You know, yeah, you should yeah. Stop that. <laughs> so, yeah. I've seen the outcome. You know? But people are surprised. Yeah. They don't realise that. It's yeah. a risk for kidney stones. Mm. Yeah, there are a bunch of other supplements that you can find, particularly mm. expensive ones uh, that are, you know shown or you know, claimed to, to be beneficial mm. for, for different I mean, I looked at, uh, just this briefly online to yeah. for, for the purposes of this talk, really, uh, or this um, discussion. And uh, from what I could see in, in the terms of what they contained, a lot of them just didn't seem to have any, you know, anything that I would recognize as helpful for, for reducing stones. But um, it, that, that's, I think that's the th problem with supplements. There's not really a regulated area, is yeah. it? Um, yeah. And I, yeah, it's, it's not a regulated area. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did I did research this a little bit. You, you looked into this in quite a bit of talk last year. Yeah. yeah. So there is very little evidence for any of it. Mm. Okay. And of course, people are going to say, well, just because you haven't studied it and you you know you medics don't like you know only rely on evidence, you don't yeah, want to look at it because it, it goes against your traditional yeah. medicines. Sure, but if it was that good, then people would have done because drug companies and everyone would pick it up and go, yeah. we're going to mark, we're going to make money out of this. Yeah. 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 So I well so. So there's very little, so first of all, I think people need to be aware there's very little evidence. Uh -huh. You also don't know what harm you're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's in these things. Um, and probably less so with kidney stone um, supplements that you mm -hmm. find. But certainly there's a lot of supplements for um, erectile dysfunction, yeah. mm. for uh, muscle muscle building and things. Mm. And a lot of those are adulterated with other drugs. Mm. And there was just something like a, a, a quite a high figure of amount of supplements, particularly in those areas, where it's adulterated with common drugs that we use. Mm. So all sorts of things, steroids, oh, wow. right, a whole, right, yeah. and that's how they work. And yeah. some of them have got Viagra in them. So they don't, mm. they don't say it on the label, yeah. but that's of course how they work. So yeah. people take them and think, oh yeah, this great herbal medicine yeah. that I pay 30 pounds a month for, it's really helping my erections, but actually it's because it's got one of the drugs that you prescribed yeah. for right, it. Yeah. Right, so yeah, that's yeah. why. So it's just the standard drug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that's less so with kidney stones, mm. but it's definitely at risk of what, mm. what is actually in that. Mm. Second thing I say is just be careful because somebody is making money out of this. Mm. You know, this isn't for free. Yeah. So someone somewhere is making money out of being able to mm. market this to you yeah. with pretty outrageous claims on some of them about what they do. And it's mm. and it's not based on good evidence because there's very little evidence. There's like, you know. Hundreds, you know, hundreds of these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, loads of different products, loads of different things mixed up. Some of which actually do the opposite. So some quite a lot have got cranberry in them. Cranberries thought to be a good thing for the urinary tract. Mm. People take it for urinary tract infections. Mm. Slightly acidifies your urine, if anything. But yeah. actually, that's like we talked about. That's probably bad for kidney stones. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's marketed as being, you know, mm. but then it's, they can market it as being, you know, specific for the urinary tract because it's got cranberry in it. But it mm. might be, but it's not good for kidney stones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. And I, I always thought, sort of, like, look at one paper that I saw, which was looking at. They just took a whole bunch of, I think it was cranberry or, or some particular compound, which said it had a certain amount, like one gram of this in each uh, in each packet. Mm. And the amount that actually was contained varied between each packet. And then even within the packet itself, between the different tablets, there was a big variation in the actual yeah. amount. So it's like, well, you know, if you're taking this, you've got no idea really what you're you're actually achieving because like you said, it's not regulated. So yeah. no yeah. regulation is there. So, yeah. so yeah. there's lots of things and people do come in taking these things. So, you know, yeah. I've yeah. Had, had some pain, been to A&E, been diagnosed with a kidney stone online and then come in with various different things. One of them is called Chanka Piedra, which is mm. what's known as stone breaker. That's one of the common things the, that we yeah. see. Tiny little bit of evidence when I looked that up, but not very much. And uh -huh. some of it's negative, quite a lot of side effects in some of the studies with that. All right. So that's that's a herb. That's found What's it in called? Chanka? A chanka piedra or stonebreaker. Stonebreaker. Right. Or quebra piedra as well. It's got mm. various different names. Oh, is, that, um, is, that, is that derived from a plant or mm, a root or yeah, something? Yeah. It? yeah. Okay, I've seen that. From yeah. a, a leaf, I think. Yeah. 
And they sell that for a lot. I mean, that's expensive. Yeah. A tablet. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and, and the trouble is with small Eurotoic stones, small Eurotoic stones tend to pass. Mm. So if you do nothing, they pass. They pass you drink yeah. water, they pass. Yeah. You stand mm. on your head, they pass. Yeah. You take this this herbal medicine, they pass. And then you go, yeah. oh, look, I swear this worked because I passed yeah. my stone. Yeah. So it isn't really proof unless someone does a proper study. And, that, yeah. and that's the problem with it. Yeah. Uh, the other common one is apple cider vinegar. Yeah. yeah. No human, no studies in humans at nothing all. At nothing all. at all in okay. humans to show mm. that that works. Mm. There's some, I found one animal study that showed a very tiny alteration mm. in the acidity of the urine and tried to justify that as therefore it prevents stones. Mm. As in, did it alkalize, uh, alkalinize well, I think it's tiny. It was, I presume so, but it was a tiny amount. Tiny, okay, so yeah. actually, but if it was that good, someone's going to, someone's going to do it. So, mm. you know, um, I, yeah, I think you just got to be careful. And yeah. there, are, there are horror stories, aren't there, from, you know, over the years of herbal medicines that go wrong as well. Yeah. And are then years down the line found to have Mm. Uh, to have you know cancer forming properties and stuff like that so mm. just be very careful with what you're taking because there will be, almost yeah. certainly be no evidence for that sort of thing yeah the type of things you don't find online to we, about alkalization may well do for the reasons we said that may well be reasonable but it's yeah. just, the mm. problem is finding finding the one that is actually good and is yeah. has got the right amount of alkali in it to to do to yeah. have the desired thing and therefore you should probably be measuring your ph to and that sort of joins this whole conversation yeah. up, doesn't it? That yeah, yeah. If you're going to do it, you should measure your pH to see. <laughs> rather than just take a tablet and go, oh, well, I'm on yeah. this thing from Amazon. It must be preventing my stones. Yeah. And I, I think also yeah. it, with regards to checking your pH, if you don't know what type of stone you have, that can also not be beneficial as well. So well, exactly, you, you, yeah. you need to make sure you have all the, the information correctly mm. before you start doing all these things. And alkalization, um, like, which it could be done with other... Uh, medications or other supplements that maybe have sodium in them because sodium bicarbonate is quite a common one mm. then that may have a knock-on effect of increasing your calcium in your urine so mm. it's not necessarily just alkalization itself as well so it's, it's just about yeah 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 being getting the right thing i guess yeah, yeah. um any other supplements that are positive or, or have we covered all of those but there aren't there's nothing we we yeah. recommend to patients is there? no so there's no, nothing, i don't think yeah. there is anything that is, yeah not yeah. for this yeah. well i think there's like water there's... water is a supplement <laughs> yeah and it's free from a tap yeah yeah <laughs> i think we've covered a lot of things that people can do to mm. make sure they're, they're yeah. not at risk of a, a stone if they have anything in their family history or if they have a recurrent stone as well and i think if mm. a lot of people did that i mean I, I read something uh, about just fluid, uh, hi hydrating yourself appropriately mm. can reduce the recurrence up to like 30%. Is that right? For certain types of stones, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I think that's the, the evidence that's kind of in the, in, say in the bowel leaflets even, I think. Yeah. Something like 34%. Yeah. 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 The, figure, yeah. the figure I quote is two mm. litres, more than, if you reliably make two litres of urine coming out every day, mm. yeah. that yeah. might be difficult, every day, yeah. you reduce your risk by 20%. That's the figure I quote from wow. all the papers. So, right. But that's in the same ballpark, isn't it? Yeah, 20 yeah. to 30%. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. That's awesome. Well, I think we've uh, we've covered a lot <laughs> <laughs> on kidney stones, bar the surgical interventions, well, but yeah, I'll let you guys so, chat yeah, about exactly. that afterwards. <laughs> uh, we surgeons, we love operating. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. yeah. But don't do any of what we said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really do hope you enjoyed listening or watching to this on YouTube. Um, please do share this podcast and the information we shared today with anyone that you feel could benefit from this as as you know. 
uh, now there is a 10% lifetime chance that uh, you or someone else will have a kidney stone. It's a very, very painful condition. So please do share this widely. And the suggestions that we really put together are going to be protective for a lot of different things as well. So do consider sharing it widely and I will see you here next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.